Welcome to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast, the show that explores the background of Tolkien's amazing world from the very beginning. Have you ever taken the time to sit down and read the original Grimm's fairy tales or any of the original fairy tales? I know there's lots of conversations that go around these like, um, like, oh, remember Beauty and the Beast by Disney? Oh, that. Yeah, that movie is so different from the original Grimm's fairy tale. But have you ever actually sat down and read them? There was a time when I was spending a lot of time in the libraries with my daughter. Uh, It was a place that we would go hang out and kind of work on our homework in the middle of the the week. And when she no longer needed my help with her homework, I was sitting there hanging out in the library with her and decided, you know what? I'm going to go pick up Grimm's fairy tales. I picked up this big book. It's a really thick volume with all of the fairy tales, not just the ones that you've heard of, In fact, the majority of them, if I were to read you the names, you'd be like, I've never heard of that before. So I spent the good bit of an hour or so reading these stories. And the thing that strikes me the most about the way that those stories are written and constructed is is probably their tone and also the fact that you just get details that are kind of squished together. There's not a whole lot of reasoning why things happen. Something very normal happens, and then something very strange happens. A character makes a very normal decision, and then that character makes a very odd decision. And there's no explanation necessarily as to why. And these types of stories were passed down word of mouth, for the most part, for for generations, potentially, before they were ever written down. And there are pieces in them from different traditions. You have these pagan traditions, and then all of a sudden you have a Christian component that pops up. And you can tell that they weren't written by a single author. They were stories that were passed down. This also feels very similar to old mythology, the kinds of Norse myths, or the inspiration for so much of what Tolkien was using for his works. Today, I'm walking through a forest. You can hear it around me. And there's a reason for this. I am going to introduce you to a character, and you will get her story on today's episode. And it very much feels like a fairy tale. We've seen Tolkien's works at the beginning of this series, at the beginning of the Silmarillion, that look like descriptions of the way the world was created, that look like biblical or religious texts. But we haven't really gotten to the point where we get an encapsulated story of an individual that feels like it comes out of a fairy tale. And remember... Fairy tales are strange. They don't always make sense. But this one, in particular, is important because it sets up what we need to know 
about the background of another character. Another... Well, we could call them a villain, but that's getting ahead of ourselves. So today we are talking about Eridel. Eridel Arfiniel. And maybe I didn't pronounce that 100% correctly, but we're going to go with that. Eridel means noble elf, and Arfiniel means noble white lady. Christopher Tolkien noted later on when he was piecing together the works in the Silmarillion that there wasn't a specific name landed on, or at least noted, that his father had landed on as being the name that he would use specifically for this character. Both were used, and Christopher Tolkien wasn't 100% sure if that was what was intended. So he gives us both, and both help us to paint a picture of the sister of Fingon, the sister of of Turgon and Argon. Eridel was a Noldorian princess, third child of Fingolfin. And what's also very interesting is that although elves are extremely long-lived, she was born in exactly the same year as Galadriel, her cousin, in the year of the trees, 1362. Now, this is back in Valinor. She went with Fingolfin over the Helcaraxa through the grinding ice in order to make it over into Beleriand. And we just discussed this recently. Her brother, Turgon, founded Gondolin, the hidden city with the spires among the inside of that wall of mountains. She goes with Turgon and lives in Gondolin for 200 years. We're at the point in the story where there's this calm before the storm. We have another period of time where Melkor, where Morgoth, is biding his time. He's not sending orcs out too much. Glorong came out too early. Remember, we talked about the dragon that was the father of the dragons. He's not done growing yet. Another 200 years goes by after the founding of Gondolin. And Aradel is living there among her sibling and her, all these other people. But she can't leave the city. The rule is, if you live in Gondolin, you cannot leave. Because if you do leave, you could potentially give away the secret of where the location of the city is. And the, the region that Gondolin is in here, in, in this ring of, of mountains and, and inside this valley on top of a hill, is fully self-sustaining. There's land for growing crops. There are places where they've been digging into the mountains themselves, getting iron and the materials that they need. There's nothing that the community needs here unless you're tired of living here. And you want to go visit or see other places. And Aradel was longing to leave. And she petitions Turgon a few times. 
and says, brother, I'd like to leave. I'd like to go visit some of our cousins. I'd like to go meet some of the other Noldor again. Maybe find out more about what's going on in the rest of the world. And of course, Turgon's like, no, that's we, we can't do that. Remember, we talked about this. And Aradel petitions a few times until he finally caves in. And he says, okay, all right, but you have to take with you a group that will keep you safe until you get to your destination, because I don't want you falling in the hands of some pack of orcs that take you away into torture and slavery, and then you give away our location here. So he allows her to leave, and she goes off with, and you're going to recognize some of these names, some companions, Glorfindel, Ecthelion, Agalmoth, these powerful and strong elves. And they take her to the entrance to Doriath. But it is closed. Remember, they don't want any of the Noldor in Doriath. They are not welcome. But she was able to petition one of the guards. And she, again, she seems very convincing here, right? She, she petitions these individuals and eventually gets what she's looking for and says, okay, well, if we can't travel into Doriath or through Doriath, what's the best way for me to go visit my cousins, the other sons of Feanor? And they say, go around to the north. You can go around to the south. You can go around to the north. It's kind of a big round area, but go around to the north. That's the shortest route. You will find your cousins. And so they head off in that direction and they come across a region known as the Nan Dungortheb. This strange sounding name means no land. This is the wilderness south of Erith Gorgoroth and Darthonian. It is a region that is too uncomfortably close to the places that Ungoliant went and dwelled and created her children. It is kind of this dark and creepy land that isn't quite in the realm of the elves. It's just outside of it. And it's not a very safe place. In fact, it's a very confusing place to have to travel because they lose their way. And remember, I talked about fairy tales and this idea that kind of plays into the way this is written. And in a fairy tale, oftentimes travelers lose their way. That's kind of what leads to some of the adventure that happens. But after a period of time, they actually find their way out. It takes them quite a long time to do it. And by then, many people are wondering, well, where are they? Word has spread that they've disappeared. What's going on? But eventually they make it out. They make it all the way to Himlod. And this is where Kelegorm is living at the time. And she decides, you know what? Kelegorm is out. He's off doing whatever Kelegorm goes and does. It's going to be a little while till he's back. But she decides, okay, well, I'm safe here. I will wait here. She, she tells the rest of the companions, you know what? I'm safe here. Go ahead. You guys can leave. It's cool. I'll just wait till Kelegorm comes back. And then I'm going to spend some time with my relatives. It'll be fine. Like, go on, do your thing. So she stays in Himlod for a bit, but Kelogorm doesn't come back right away. He's off doing something else. And so she starts to explore. And this is a theme. She seems to have this want to wander, this want to see what else is out there. She becomes bored. And so she 
travels a bit further out away from Himlod and comes back and explores the wilderness a little bit more and comes back. And enough time has gone by that she's become very adventurous. She heads far enough away that she finds the forest of Nan Elmoth. This is a forest on the edge of Doriath. It's not quite in the girdle of Melian, but this part of the forest is off on the edges. It is the very same forest. I mean, the forest is large, but in this forest is where Elway, Thingol, encounters Melian, falls under this love spell, and they disappear for a while. It's also known as being the forest with the tallest and darkest trees. And dark meaning like the canopy, the tall trees create this canopy. And walking underneath these trees is like walking in a twilight kind of setting. Think Mirkwood, but probably even more massive trees. And what happens in a fairy tale when your main character, your character who represents the normal society, the way the world regularly is, enters a mysterious place? Well, they usually become lost. This is the second time she has a hard time finding her way. The forest is dense and dark, but there's also something else that's keeping her from finding her way out. So let me tell you a little story. You know that we get sponsors on these podcasts and Yuffie, who does these smart locks with video cameras in them, reached out and they sent me a smart door lock with a 2K camera, a doorbell and a finger reader, all the bells and whistles. And I was like, okay, cool. They sent it to me. I already have one on my back door. When I opened this up and installed it, I was like, why didn't I go with Yuffie to begin with? Because this is a step above the one that I've been using. The finger reader just works. The 2K camera is so clear. I can see when somebody's at the front door, if it's Amazon or if it's somebody trying to sell me something. It even has night vision and works in the dark. It makes me feel so much safer. Plus, my son can just put his finger on the door and just come right in when he gets home from school. He doesn't have to worry about losing keys and you don't even have to change the batteries in these because it's got like a 10,000 milliwatt hour battery that lasts for like four months. Go check these out today. Search for Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Again, search Eufy Video Lock. I think you'll love it. All right, this is the middle of the show. This is where I get to thank my patrons, my wonderful, wonderful supporters, all 31 of you, and a big shout out to our VIP patrons, Esoteric Rage, Larry, Tristan P., and Tyler B. Thank you so much for your support. And a big shout out to Bucket Eye, our newest patron. Welcome aboard. I hope you're enjoying the bonuses, the early episodes, the bonus episodes, the, uh, you know, uh, candy and free drinks um (laughs) wouldn't that be funny if i sent anyway uh but thank you to everybody who supports the show i really appreciate it also um we have a brand new review here i gotta read this one out because this came in over the last week 
This one's from our Canadian friend. Oh my gosh, I don't know how to pronounce this name. It seems like a jumble of letters. W-P-J-E-J-X-I-E-N-C-I-J-E-I. I think I did a pretty good job trying to pronounce that. This one says S tier podcast five stars. You could narrate every podcast I listen to and I wouldn't complain. Very rare podcast where I've enjoyed every episode that has come out. You're obviously very knowledgeable in the lore of the Lord of the Rings. And I feel like you genuinely enjoy talking about this subject. Huh? Imagine that I do Um, highly recommend this podcast to anyone waiting to or wanting to learn more about don't wait do it now about tolkien's world that he created please never stop adding the background noises to add to the setting i do i'm gonna keep doing that as much as i can there's only so many different sounds i can use that make sense but um yeah thank you for for taking the time to leave that if you want to support the show that's a wonderful way to do it if you leave a five-star review on apple Podcasts, i will read it out on a future episode also dropping in a five-star rating or you know, on Apple or on Spotify is also a wonderful way to do it. Before I get to the rest of this episode, I wanted to address a question that I've seen surfacing. I had some questions about the uh, Rings of Power, the TV show coming out on Amazon. And um, one person in particular wrote me and said, hey, I've, I've seen the latest trailers, which, by the way, go watch. They're freaking amazing. I'm kind of confused. How does this line up with the things that we've been talking about so far? And In order to clarify some of some potential confusion about this, the things that we've been discussing so far on this podcast happen during the pre eras of the world during the creation period and then the time over in Valinar. And then the stuff that we've been discussing most recently is all in the first age. We haven't gotten to the second age yet. The show is primarily the story of what is called the fall of Numenor the human kingdom that is on an island after the end of the first age. So the main events of the show are most likely all taking place during the second age. The second age is also like four times longer than the first age. It goes on for a long time. So there's a lot of untold information there. In fact, Tolkien kind of hints at a lot of the things that were going on and only tells us little bits. There's a little bit of the second age that shows up in the Silmarillion. There's a little bit of the second age stuff that shows up in the appendices of the Lord of the Rings. But for the most part, we get the stories of the third age, the ones that we're really familiar with the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. And then we get the stories from the first age and before that, but there's kind of this big gap of stuff that we don't really know a whole lot about in the second age, which allows for showrunners to create a show around those events and kind of flesh them out some more because there just wasn't a lot written. So the things in the show will, some of it will match things from the books and then some of it will be expanded. You'll have new characters like we've seen in some of the trailers. So the other thing that I want to note about this, though, is that there are scenes in the trailer that depict events from before the Second Age. And I know that can be confusing. So there is a scene where the camera pans up over a hill and you see a beautiful city with two gigantic glowing trees of light. Yes, that is Tyrion. That is Valinor. Those are the trees. So. My guess is that that is a scene that is a flashback to what that looked like and the elves that had been there. Maybe somebody like Galadriel is remembering having been at that 
place and the glory and the beauty of it. You also have battle scenes where you have lots of orcs fighting a smaller group of elves and a character that shows keeps keeps showing up. It's probably it's probably Finrod would be my guess. And now we're seeing flashbacks to some of the big battles that we haven't quite gotten to yet. We've talked about some of the battles, but there's some big ones that are on the way. So what we've seen so far is kind of a mishmash of stuff. So just be aware of that. And I don't know, hold on to your seat because it's going to be a wild ride. We're not going to get all the way through the second age by the time the show comes out. But we're just going to keep going and I'll fill in some stuff when maybe we'll do some episodes when the show comes out where I'll deconstruct each of the episodes or something like that. We'll see what I can do. All right. That's I just wanted to put that out there. Let's get on with the rest of the story. Here we go. So one of the things that I didn't describe very well yet was just how beautiful Aridel is. Aridel, she's a she's a Noldorian princess. She comes from a royal line. We know that these elves are particularly stunning in their appearances. They're beautiful. She's known as the White Lady because her skin is so fair. She has this very, very fair, almost white complexion. And this is something that Tolkien talks about a lot. And and I think that we need to, at least in my mind, I don't imagine the elves being like human skin tones necessarily. I think that maybe some of these characters who were born before there was a sun and a moon, and I've talked about this before, may not actually have like melanin in their skin. She might be white, white, like a piece of paper white maybe transparent you know you never know but she had very very fair skin but like so many of the other other noldor she had very dark hair so she had these dark features with this very fair skin so she, she was striking she didn't look like necessarily all of the other elves she's probably the kind of person who walks in a room and everyone just notices And when she walked into this forest, she got the attention of someone very specific. There's an elf, a dark elf. And again, that doesn't mean dark skinned. It doesn't mean evil. It just means an elf that didn't see the light of the trees. There's a dark elf named Eol, E-O-L, not Ale, like A-L-E, E-O-L, Ale lived in this forest. In fact, he negotiated with King Thingol in order to do so. He was a metallurgist. He had a way with metals, with crafting of weapons, those kinds of things. And in order to purchase his ability to live in this forest, he forged a sword, the sword Anglichal. I just messed that up. I'm going to leave that. Anglical, A-N-G-L-A-C-H-E-L, and gave it to Thingol as tribute. The sword had a twin, a sword named Angarel, which he kept for himself. And he had been living in this forest. This was his home. And he wasn't just a metallurgist. He wasn't just a craftsman. 
he also knew a bit of the ways of enchantment and those kinds of things. And when Aradel finds her way into the forest, he notices her. In fact, he, it is said, falls in love with her, or maybe some other variation of a word that we would use instead of love. Either way, he casts a spell on her that keeps her from finding her way out of the forest for quite some time. And he kind of, he's kind of a creep, to be honest. He kind of tracks her and keeps an eye on her. And she wanders for a good bit of time, like elves sometimes do, and eventually stumbled upon his dwelling. Now, maybe that was his intention as a way for her to find him. And at that moment, he, we're told, reveals himself to her. And then they get married. And this is one of those points in fairy tale that you go, wait, what? The creeper dude casts a spell on you. You can't leave the forest. You find where he dwells. And then you just decide like, yeah, this guy's marriage material. Well, that's what happens. And we would have to fill in the blanks between those details. Maybe she was enchanted into loving him. Maybe she was so taken up with somebody who was interesting and unique and living on their own and doing some really cool things with craft work. And maybe she, maybe he was the antithesis of the other elves that she had lived around for so long that she thought, you know what? This guy's really notable. We don't really know, but we do know that they married and she decided to settle down there and she stayed with him in the forest long enough to bear a child. And there are questions about this very thing. The idea that like elves bear children, but how long do they stay pregnant for? How, how does that work? You know, like human lives are very short. Elven lives are basically infinite. How is it a year? Is it 10 years? Well, one of the best answers that I've seen out there is that Tolkien himself even hinted at playing with the concept of it being about a hundred years than an elf is pregnant for, which seems like a very long time, but in the lifespan of elves, it isn't. And so she stayed with him long enough in order to bear a child. Her son, she brought into the world, his name, Maeglin, M-A-E-G-L-I-N. And she raises him for a bit. He grows, gets older. And at some point, in this mothering period of Maeglin, she's explaining to young Maeglin where she came from, her former life, her home, her family, the people that she had left behind for a very long period of time in order to live alone in the woods. And that was the very thing that she left for. She was, she felt stuck. She felt like she couldn't leave where she was at in Gondolin And she ends up in another situation where she disappears to the world and takes up residence in a very confined place, arguably even more confined. Well, not even arguably, I mean, with one person in Gondolin, at least you have a city of people around you. Now, in this time, Meglin has grown. Meglin has become basically a a young adult elf or at least a late teenager. And Meglin and A.L. don't necessarily get along together. They've spent a lot of time working and and he's learned from ale how to craft and smith things he's even spent time 
with the elves in Nagrod, learning the trades that they work in and very specifically the crafting of weapons and items. But Aeol and Meglin don't get along so well, and even in appearance, Meglin looks more like his mother. Well, at one point, Aeol is off celebrating with the dwarves, who he trades with and works with regularly. And Meglin speaks to his mom, <laughs> and he, he seems to have this ability similar to sh to what she has where he's able to convince people of things and he has he's heard of the places she used to live where she came from she tries to convince him that he's of the line of ale his father he needs to stay here and live a life that his father would want but Meglin doesn't want that he wants to see gondolin he wants to meet these other elves and he has a interesting perspective on what's going on with Turgon, but we'll get to that in a future episode. So Aerodel, Meglin decide to leave. They decide, okay, well, Ale is gone. We'll make our way out of here. But Ale returns early, not even two days after they've left their home. He finds that they're gone. He meets the servants, the servants that work with them as part of this like campus that he has, I guess you could call it. And they say, oh, well, they left and they're going to visit her family or whatever. And um, basically kind of just tell him what's up. And he gets upset because he spent a lot of time trying to convince Meglin that Meglin is his son, that Meglin doesn't have any real greater claim to this other group of the Noldor, that he is one of the Dark Elves, that he needs to stay here. And Ale gets upset and follows them. And there's this whole explanation of the places that he goes and how he, he's able to track them down. But what happens is he eventually does catch up and is able to follow them into Gondolin. And this is a problem. This is the very thing that Turgon was worried about. This idea that if anybody left, that somebody would find where they are. Aridel and Meglin make their way to the front gate. She says hello to the guard. She introduces her son. She's taken right before the king. And the king has all these questions about where she's been and what's going on and warmly welcomes her back. Turgon is so glad to see his sister again. And on top of that, excited to have a new nephew. He looks at Meglin and thinks, you look like one of us. Welcome. Become basically invited, like be one of the Noldor. You are welcome here. And while this is happening, Ael makes his way to the guard and claims, I've come because my wife has returned home. I wish to be with her. And the guards are very off put by this. Who, who are you? What is going on here? Some dark elf showing up. What is going on? And so he's brought before the king as well. And this is where everything falls apart. Turgon, as he generally does, is very welcoming to this potentially new member of his family. He's like, okay, well, yes, she's here. Your wife is here. My sister, your son is here. Welcome. By the way, if you're going to now live here in Gondolin, since you've made your way into the city, you need to abide by our rules. You can't leave. Aeol is not about that at all. In fact, he has an issue with the Noldor in general. 
And he says to King Turgon, listen, basically, you've stolen this land from the Teleri, from us, the Dark Elves. I don't have to follow your rules. I can leave whenever I want. And I'm going to go now. It's <laughs> basically it. And Turgon is like, uh, no, you can't. You can't do that. You have to stay. This is like a security thing, right? And Aeol says, no, I'm going to leave and tell you what, you might have claim to your sister so she can stay. Basically gives up the relationship with his wife right here. But I'm going to take my son and me and my son are going. Don't you talk to me and my son ever again. And Meglin just stands there and doesn't say anything. You can tell that Meglin doesn't want to go with his father. And Turgon says, no, Meglin must stay. He has to stay here. He's to stay with his mother. He is one of us now, basically. And Ael says, well, if I can't have him come with me, then I choose the second option. He grabs a spear out of the hands of a nearby guard and throws it at Meglin. Basically, if I can't have him, then no one can, because I'm not going to let my son grow up in the realm of the Noldor. His mother sees this and jumps in front of her son to defend him. And the spear hits her shoulder. We find out later that within the next day, she becomes very ill. The shoulder becomes infected. The spear was poison tipped and somehow they didn't realize this right away. The next day, Aeol, who has been captured at this point, is brought again before Turgon for trial. They don't just act on this, right? They don't just cut him down in the spot. They use rule of law here and they bring him in front for a trial. And of course, everybody has witnessed this. And the one who could stand up and drop the charges, basically, is Meglin. But Meglin says nothing. And there's this line in the text where Aeol cries out when he knows that this is the end for him. He's not getting out of this. He cries out to Meglin. So you forsake your father and his kin, ill-gotten son. Here shall you fail of all your hopes. And here may you yet die the same death as I. And then Aeol is taken out to the highest cliffside and cast over the side. And that's his end. And unfortunately, Aridel's wound becomes too much for them to manage, and she passes away as well. Leaving Maglin, her son, alone among until who were recently strangers, knowing that his father tried to take his life. Thanks for listening to the Lord of the Rings Lorecast. If you'd like to learn more about other fantasy worlds, check out my other podcasts, the Elder Scrolls Lorecast, the Witcher Lorecast, and more at robotsradio.net. If you'd like to reach out, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note on Twitter at robots underscore radio, or join our amazing community on the Robots Radio Discord. There are links in the show notes, or just search Robots Radio Discord, or find the link on robotsradio.net. I'll see you next time. Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. 
Community. Just press play.